Hello and welcome to another episode of Talk and Chop, the official sports podcast of FSU Student Newspaper, the FSU and Florida Flambeau. As always, I'm Logan Grutchfield, the host, and we have a new guest making his inaugural appearance on the um, on Talk and Chop today. Uh, a recent addition to our uh, to our staff, uh, welcome addition, Thomas Dyson. How are you? Just uh, uh, tell me a little bit about how you got on and, uh, you know, what you've been up to recently at the FSBU. Uh, hey, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I just I, I wrote throughout high school, um, started out writing for sports. And so I kind of wanted to keep that passion going here in, in college. A better way to do it than to do it for the team that I've watched growing up, uh, the FSU Seminoles. And so just recently been been really following the baseball team, um, watching kind of a sad ending to uh, FSU's basketball season, but uh, it was it was exciting nonetheless. So I'm excited to be here and thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad you come on They're just about to uh, kick me out of this university. So uh, I- I'm glad, you know, I, I read your article yesterday the, about the uh, FSU Sunshine State streak. And uh, I, I was uh, really great. Uh, I highly recommend it for our listeners. But um, I'm glad you've been watching kind of the two topics of conversation for us today, which is um, FSU basketball and FSU baseball. So I do want to start with um, basketball. That's kind of the we'll get the bad bad news out of the way before we move into uh, kind of better news for Seminoles fans and just a, a really brutal ending, I think, to this season for FSU. Um, this was a matchup that um, my freshman year, I remember watching them lose to Michigan in the Elite Eight um, with a Final Four matchup on the line. And this year it was with an Elite Eight matchup um, or a spot in the Elite Eight. Um, and FSU just got smoked, quite honestly. Final score, 76 to 58. Um, it really seemed like Michigan had FSU's number virtually the entire night. And just kind of a revenge matchup that didn't go FSU's way. Um, very frustrating for sure. And then doubly frustrating, I think, watching Michigan against UCLA later. I don't know about you, Thomas. For me, my impression was how did these guys just, just smoke us, especially Franz Wagner, who I thought was Michigan's best player in that game and, and just looked lost against UCLA. What, what was your impression of the, of the FSU-Michigan game? Well, they definitely had our number, um, and they did. They beat us a way that I hadn't really seen us get beat before all season. You know, all season you've heard about our height and our length and our ability to be physical in the paint and how we're just taller and can out-rebound. Um, but like you mentioned, Franz Wagner just, I mean, they beat us inside out, especially coming out of halftime, getting a lot of points in the paint, playing really, really physical. You know, when, you're, when your best players are in foul trouble, you know, talking Raekwon Gregg has four fouls. MJ Walker finishes before fouls. Uh, Scotty Barnes finishes before fouls. They pretty much eliminated our top three threats, and they beat us inside out. They were catching us on the switch, getting uh, Balsa Koprovica out on the, uh, the three-point line and then catching us with the size um, mismatch down low. And that, that was our number that worked for us. Um, they figured that out. They had that extra time switching from the round of 32 to the Sweet 16. And um, I think they just came in a little more prepared than, and they had more time than they did against UCLA. Um, 
and and they just you know they they figured out what worked for them and what didn't work for us and they exploited it and and boy was it successful i i got to agree and i i think you make a great point there especially about just getting these guys in in foul trouble and and really i think kind of letting the air out of the balloon when it comes to the fsu offense especially you're spot on about raekwon gray i think he's somebody that when he has been on the court has been about as dependable as you can be for fsu and getting him especially in foul trouble not letting him get going especially in the paint he's just such a a big guy i know he can really muscle people around and they did not let him get much of anything uh, in the paint he did get eight points on the night but I mean, certainly not the output that you would be expecting from him uh, against a, a, you know, especially not what you would want to see deeper in the playoffs. So I think, yeah, getting these guys in the foul trouble, um, not a great night. Once again, I thought for um, some of the depth guys, um, you know, beyond or, or guys not in the starting lineup. Um, Malik Osborne led the team in minutes, didn't start, but st- led the team in minutes and points. Um Besides that, I mean, I think especially being able to shut out Sadar Calhoun, um, Scotty Barnes was was for a while, I guess, really the only one doing much of anything um, later in that first half. But um, and just tell me what you think about this assessment, Thomas. Um, from what I had watched of Michigan in that NCAA tournament run, it seemed to me like you know, despite all this hype about them having or not having Isaiah Livers, you know, um, and, and some of that, you know, some of the bigger conversations you might have heard about the Big Ten, it seemed to me like Michigan, at least prior to the UCLA game, did not make many big, did not have any gaping holes in their game. And they certainly were able to poke holes in FSUs, which I thought was forcing a lot of turnovers. And then it didn't help that FSU was really, really struggling to shoot from three for much of the game. And then kind of having their way in the paint, you know, from uh, from three, both teams struggled considerably. But um, it definitely seemed like – and they were also just able to sink, I mean, 15 free throws. That's – you're not going to be able to do a whole lot there. They out-rebounded FSU on, on both sides of the ball. Um, I mean, it, it really just kind of seemed like a, a drubbing. And, and not what you would want to see this, this late in the season. So, um, I mean, did you see much of any mistakes in Michigan's game? Uh, really not too much against us. I mean, it, I mean, it was just solid all around. I thought they just did a really good job of managing the game and sticking to their game plan, which is exactly opposite of what FSU did. Uh, and, and in these games where you have those long breaks beforehand, um, especially you see it in football and baseball when you have those breaks to prepare for those prime time late in the season playoff games often the team that sticks to their script and sticks to what they practice for those two weeks or that week that break before the game the team that does the best it's sticking to their game plan is the team that wins uh, when you have that amount of time it's, it's almost all strategy because everybody's you know, everybody's had all season to perfect their shot, to play together. And it's just how well can you stay within what your team does good and what your team does well. And then whoever kind of falls out of that mold is often the team that, that finds itself behind on the scoreboard and, and out of the tournament. Absolutely. And I do want to, 
if I could make one, I guess, comparison in, in one aspect of FSU's play specifically, that kind of the issue from three, uh, they were able to get it figured out. I mean, but if you remove Malik Osborne from the game, that there's only one three that was made by FSU, and it was that first one by Anthony Polite, I think early-ish in the second half. Um, and I think we saw this, a similar thing happen in the, the UNC Greensboro game, you know, it, which if you recall, they did not make a single three point shot the entire game, which is for a team that in the regular season, I thought shot as well as FSU, that game was troubling. And maybe I, I'm trying to think, I mean, we've seen a lot of basketball since that Michigan or since the Greensboro game, excuse me. And I think that, you know, maybe for Michigan, that might have been a proof of concept. You know, let's get, if we can kind of create havoc from three, especially against a team like FSU that, that shoots well, um, I guess it's troubling then to see these kind of missed three-point shots, you know, get them in the paint against Greensboro. I mean, I think FSU just had their, had their number size-wise. So they weren't really getting, you know, shoved around too much. But against Michigan, I mean, they had Hunter Dickinson. They had Brandon Johns. Uh, they had Franz Wagner, who I think is bigger for a guard. Um, and these guys were able to then, you know, get some fouls racked up on uh, or, you know, get good, uh, take some fouls, uh, get a lot of then offensive fouls on FSU, and then just really wreak havoc on their game. Um, I, I, I don't know. Thomas, I'm just intrigued to hear your thoughts on that. I think, you know, that might, you know, before we then talk about Nathaniel Jack a little bit. Yeah, I think that's been – shooting has been FSU's Achilles heel all season, especially away from the Tucker Center. When I think back to even as far back as that first regular season game against Georgia Tech that we dropped to them, if you look back at these games that we've lost and where we've had a high turnover rate, it has started with poor shooting. And when our shots, when our shots aren't falling, we, it's just difficult for us to kind of adapt to that and get settled back down and find something that works for us attacking the rim. And quite honestly, I thought we did a decent job of that coming out of halftime. Um, Malik Osborne was hitting some shots for us, and I thought we did a better job of it. But Michigan just played a smarter and more physical game. Um, if I remember correctly, and I might be mistaken on this, but I, I think I watched there in the second half um, probably two or three possessions in a row where we had a Malik Osborne or um, MJ Walker drive that ended in a, in a charge, an offensive foul, um, consequently a turnover, and, and it went back in Michigan's direction. So they just, I mean, they stepped up. Michigan did when they needed to. They had our card. They knew what we did. They knew how we played um, when our shots weren't falling. And they executed, and we didn't. And they adapted, and we didn't. And that, I mean, that's the story of the game. That's true. And I, I think, you know, we, we're starting to ring out, I guess, as much analysis as we can out of this game. And, and I'm glad you brought up the charges. I think that's a – you can have a separate conversation probably about some of the charge calls that we've seen in, in this tournament. You know, I, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole, uh, to be quite honest. You know, I, I don't know that how constructive that is at this point. But what I do want to ask you about a little bit um, as we kind of, 
the basketball season is over. Obviously, uh, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about a lot, but uh, um, you know, next season is still a ways away. But we did get some news today that uh, Nathaniel Jack is going into the uh, the transfer portal and will look to use his fifth year of eligibility. I believe it's the the last remaining COVID year that he has um, elsewhere. So on that note, I kind of want to just open it up to you here, Thomas. Um, You know, so that does open up. I mean, he was kind of in the reserve slot as a guard for FSU. But, um, I mean, on that note, looking ahead to next year, I mean, we likely won't be seeing MJ Walker. I I know there's been some bubbling recently, but at this point, I don't want to pontificate about too much. Um, we'll likely be losing uh, yeah, MJ Walker and Scotty Barnes. Who do you think we might be seeing more of that, you know, might've been more of a depth player this year that might make that next step. Next, season? I think firstly, I look at Malik Osborne and Sardar Calhoun. Um, mm-hmm. Calhoun really stepped up this season uh, in his first year here. I thought, um, you know, excluding a few games that he played really well. He's a very athletic guard uh, who, who was coming off the bench for us. He's a great shooter. He, he reminds me of, I don't know if you remember, uh, a couple of years ago when we had P.J. Savoy, who could just pretty oh, much yes, that, that deep wing shot. Um, and I've never really seen somebody get as elevated as, as Calhoun does. Um, and on the note of, you know, Nathaniel Jack leaving, uh, I'm definitely excited moving forward. We got – you know, a transfer guard, Caleb Mills coming in, who's averaging 13 points per game. Uh, and Jalen Worley, who's the number three overall combo guard coming in. So so though we're losing a lot of talent um, and definitely a lot of leadership with MJ Walker and Scotty Barnes, we've got, I think, a lot of potential in our new in our new recruits coming out of high school. And then we've got a couple of transfers coming in from junior colleges that can provide us I think a little more of that experience that we might have lacked just a tad this year as, as compared to last, um, last season and seasons before that when it was really our experience um, that, that was noticeable. I completely agree. And I think, you know, one of the kind of more long-term advantages, I think, of, you, you know, I, I really do think about I came in uh, as a freshman in 2017, 2018, and I think the program development that has ensued since then is astronomical, quite honestly, for FSU. And I think FSU is really starting to reap the benefits of that, you know, getting these blue chip recruits like Scotty Barnes, you know, getting these, you know, transfers like like uh, Caleb Mills transferring from a, a Final Four team currently in Houston um, and starting to get kind of this, I don't want to say higher quality talent because you know, for example, Devin Vassell and Patrick Williams were phenomenal last year for Florida State. I, I don't know that anyone would not call them high quality, but I, I'm always reminded of a comment by uh, uh, Coach Hamilton where he says they were competing with, like, Presbyterian for them. And some of these, you know, I'm hesitant to even call them mid-majors. You know, schools kind of, um, you know, on, on maybe the outer rung of D1 basketball, where, um, you know, now FSU isn't necessarily having to wring everything that they can out of guys like that. You know, they are able to, um, you know, get these kind of more blue chip guys, I suppose is how I would uh, describe it. 
And then one question I do have for you, I guess, last kind of personnel question is we talk about balsa a little bit and, and, and the center position um, going forward. Do you, I, I'm just hesitant because I think at that kind of big spot, I haven't seen a, a whole lot out of either Tenorangam or Quincy Ballard that gives me much optimism behind Balsa. And luckily Balsa's younger. Um, you know, I think they're still looking at another year or two out of him. But, I mean, did you see anything to that end that might indicate that they might play a larger role? Because I, I think Balsa's tournament play, notwithstanding, I think he was a little all over the place. Um, I think his kind of down-the-stretch ACC, uh, ACC conference play, um, you know, late regular season was spectacular. And he, even, in, even in the tournament, I thought he was very strong. Um, I'm not seeing enough behind him to where, you know, there could be much of a rotation, quite honestly. Yeah, and that's kind of, to me, I think that's pretty typical of just the FSU teams that I remember if we look back at um, – players kind of like Michael Ojo, where you really just kind of mm-hmm. a big, essentially just a big seven-foot rebounder down there underneath the hoop. Um, and Balsa's has kind of really changed that position and made FSU a lot more versatile on both offense and defense. And that he's kind of added a scoring element now to our bigs, which hasn't really been there in past years that I can remember. And I think that him coming back, you know, his role is definitely going to change. I think a, he's going to become a primary scorer. Um, he's obviously been a primary rebounder, and I think he's going to be he's going to play a really large leadership role next year. Uh, we've got two centers coming in, like John Butler, uh, who's a four-star center coming in, and Naheem McLeod, who's a number six overall JUCO player, who's transferring in from Chipola College. So. I think, you know, his, his job next year will definitely grow both on the court as a scorer and as a leader, kind of ushering in this next generation of Seminole centers. That's true. And I, I do, I, I always like getting, you know, uh, the guys like and Thomas Martinez also is very similar and, and kind of giving these, you know, zoom out views of FSU basketball where, where, you know, I might, I might not naturally be, as recognizing of those things. So that's a, that's a great point you make, especially with him. And uh, I mean, even guys like Chris Kamaji, honestly, even though I I don't know that he was as, you know, well-rounded as somebody like Michael Ojo, but I guess at that, you know, position, you take what you can get. Um, So, and then on that note, I do want to move to now where, uh, you've seen a lot of recently in the past few days. I know you've covered uh, a few of the past uh, uh, baseball games. And uh, I wanted uh, to ask you, uh, we saw kind of a rough-ish ending to that Wake Forest series and then an absolute thumping of Mercer last night. Um, what have you, I, I think it goes without saying that this is a very potent offense. For, for Florida State, but um, Thomas, I'm just wondering if you can give me any any additional color to that. You know, what did you see uh, on offense and, I mean, on, on defense pitching-wise? Um, I do want to ask you a little bit later on about Colton Vincent. I know we saw a little bit more of him against Mercer, um, you know, than 
I, and I haven't seen him too much consistently this season. Um, but I, I just want to ask you what you've been seeing out of this team. Uh, in the I think the key to FSU's baseball moving forward and what we're really seeing works for us when we're getting in these games, I think back all the way to even a week ago when we had that extra inning win against UCF, is in the games that we've won, we've had spectacular pitching, and our starter pitcher, starting pitcher, excuse me, is, is getting deep quality innings, going four, five, six innings. Um, you know, what I'm seeing in these losses is we're, we're struggling to find the strike zone, and, and we're having, you know, the UCF game especially, and, and definitely against Wake Forest, start getting in a, you know, rotating a lot of pitchers, nobody's ever really able to get comfortable out there on the mound and you're using a lot of arms. And then, you know, in those three game weekend series, like Wake Forest, you got guys that are sore on Saturday, certainly coming into Sunday. And if that starting pitcher can't really kind of, you know, push his way through, then you're, you're, you're playing with, with tired arms and, and they're getting out in front of the ball and they're, they're playing aggressive. And certainly I've noticed that in, in other teams' game plan, other teams' game plans, certainly Mercer's. I noticed uh, yesterday in the first and second inning, they weren't able, they weren't able to really make anything come of it. Um, but they were aggressive. They were, they were getting the bat on the ball, and it didn't come to anything. Jack Anderson pitched a, a spectacular game, um, had a no-hitter pretty much through the sixth until, um, until they ripped a solo home run on us. But – it's, it all starts on the mound for the Seminoles baseball team. And, and when the mound is not strong, uh, that's, you know, it, it's certainly troublesome for, for a baseball team. I agree. And then I guess to that end, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, um, you, you say it all starts on the mound. I'm curious if you think many of these teams or a few of these teams have kind of the idea of, if we can just, you know, work counts on these starters and we can, you know, get to the bullpen, it seemed to me like at least earlier in the season, I, I don't know about as much because um, Wake Forest certainly took it to FSU starters. But I'm reminded of like the UCF game, for example, where um, let me take a look at this one. I mean, it was a, you know, 2 2. 4-2 FSU lead going into the seventh, eighth inning. You know, they got solid innings kind of out of the middle of the bullpen. But then, you know, Chase Haney came in, um, Davis Hare behind him, and kind of these shorter relief guys. I think, you know, Jonas Galaro you could also put in that boat. Um, I want to ask you, do you think that some of these teams might take the approach of, let's see if we can outlast these starters, you know, just kind of foul off stuff, make them – throw stuff if they can't hit the strike zone like you're saying and then we could kind of you know hit around on the bullpen a little bit have have you seen much of that or you think i'm reading too much into it just because my observation it seems like the bullpen has been one of the few soft spots well it certainly has up until this point we've seen a lot of potential and a lot of a lot of pitchers stepping up Mm -hmm. but i think you hit the nail on the head in your analysis of teams really working the strike count and being really aggressive early once again, I, I spoke on it just in my last, um, my last point, but I really saw it with Mercer. Definitely saw it with UCF after Carson Montgomery left the, round, uh, left the mound 
after his career high uh, nine strikeout day is, you know, I think the difference between the UCF game and the Mercer game was Mercer was getting the bat on the ball on the first, second pitch, you know, they were just grounders that were out. So they weren't ever really able to push uh, Jack Anderson, who started that game last night against the Bears. They weren't able to push Anderson deep into the count, uh, though they were aggressive early. And, you know, when, when I've been researching and reading around, you know, this has been other people's analysis as well. It's just, it's how long can that starting pitcher last? And other teams are, are catching on to that. Um, that was, that was a problem this weekend. And I imagine it'll be, it'll be a problem moving forward unless we can kind of figure it out. That's certainly true. And it it seems like, you know, I, I was just surprised that that wake Forest series was, was as much of a slugfest as it was, honestly. I mean, I shouldn't say I'm surprised that FSU was hitting as well as they were, but I, I mean, I was surprised that you know, Wake was kind of taking it to our starters as much as they were. Um, and, and speaking of starters, um, I want to ask you about just what you saw out of Jack Anderson last night. I mean, he seems like that was probably one of his better appearances that he's ever had at Florida State, if not one of his best. Um, I mean, I think you said he was six innings deep on a no-hitter until they had that solo shot off of him. Um, and because I, I was just thinking, you know, when you look at the weekend rotation, you have Parker Messick and what appears to be either Carson Montgomery or, or Bryce Hubbard, whoever's not getting used in the middle of the week, and Connor Grady. And I, I guess maybe you could call Jack Anderson sort of the odd man out in that in, in that kind of assortment. But, I mean, he's definitely shown a lot. I think right there. And, and, um, you know, we've seen Carson Montgomery be absolutely spectacular this season. We've also seen him kind of bounce around a little bit, I think in terms of just, uh, you know, performance from week to week. And it's also early on, you know, I I don't want to read too much into that, but, um, I mean, how did, how did his stuff look? And then also, um, what do you think of, um, Colton Vincent? Because I know he got a start last night, it seemed like, and, um, He's been – I know Matt Nelson has had just a phenomenal year thus far. But, um, I mean, what do you think of kind of the, the pitching and catching situation? I guess it's kind of a bigger question for you, so so I apologize to that end. But what do you think of the kind of pitching catching situation behind the weekend guys and behind Matt Nelson? Because I, I have not seen as much of them as, as I'd like to. Yeah, season. well, to start off with, uh, with Jack Anderson, he was just uh, – I remember – and his media availability last night, you know, he said that's the best he's felt out there on the mound in his time at FSU. Um, and, and head coach Mike Martin Jr. mentioned that as well, uh, where he's shown that potential, but he hasn't really put it all together. Um, and he, I mean, he was working the strike zone really well against the Bears. Uh, he was getting a lot inside, um, which, is, which is definitely, I think, when you look at these college pitchers where they struggle the most is that inner strike zone. Um, closer to that batter. Um, so he was, I mean, he was looking really good. That first inning, that fastball is his calling card. That 92, 93 mile an hour fastball. Uh, I mean, it's professional looking, uh, the way he's able to throw it. And then his, his, you know, his other stuff was his slider was looking really, really good. The changeup was certainly effective, um, which I saw falling for him a lot last night, which is really good considering how good that fastball is. 
when you're able to come and counter that with a with a change up that's around you know 80 83 miles an hour that can really throw a batter off and quickly behind in the count um he went i mean i'm looking at the stats from last night you know he goes he goes 81 pitches deep um and they actually you know uh mike martin jr said after the game yesterday that they pulled him because of the pitch count uh not necessarily the solo home run mm-hmm. um so he looked really strong and we've we've seen that with the other pitchers and it's just it's going to be consistency from here on out as we're trying to close out this regular season um get through the ACC tournament and earn a spot in the college world series. It's going to be that pitching has got to become a little bit more consistent and we're seeing it slowly, slowly inch toward that, but it's going to need, you know, it's kind of got one more hill to climb, I think before it's there. And then you mentioned uh, Colton Vincent who really stepped up in a big way last night. Um, And that's definitely, I think you see a little bit more of it in MLB, but parody at the catcher spot um, is definitely probably something that you don't necessarily want. Um, you know, pitchers get accommodated and accustomed to to what catcher they like and what calls they like, and they kind of form a bond there. But I thought Colton Vincent came in last night, and especially on the, on the offensive end, I think he provided a really big spark. You know, when you're able to come in and, and earn a run, get a hit with two at-bats, um, that's, that's certainly huge, especially in a game like the game against Mercer where you're not getting – I mean, the story of the game against Mercer was in the seventh inning. Um, you know, outside of that, we had a, we had a few other hits. Um, but when you're able to get on a streak like that, each hit is huge because you're just keeping that momentum going and every, you know, every run counts, especially when, when the bats aren't swinging like you wanted to. So he stepped up in a big way last night, uh, and I think he, he definitely showed a, a lot of perseverance and a lot of grit. Uh, which has kind of been kind of been the story of the year for the Seminoles baseball team, uh, considering you know all all the changes and ups and downs that they've been through so far. Certainly, and um, I, I'm just curious because I know behind him or behind Matt Nelson, it's been uh, him and Sebastian Jimenez, and neither one of them has gotten uh, I mean a ton of playing time. Also, Matt Nelson has just been on uh, an absolute tear this season so it's it's not certainly for lack of effort on either one of their parts as far as I can tell but I was thinking for him that's got to be a um, a performance that you can sort of hang your hat on you know you have a a stellar outing I mean overall besides kind of that one solo home run um, not much of anything going by uh, the Mercer offense I mean just two hits outside of that Um, Jack Anderson I mean in six and two-thirds um, only 81 pitches. That is, I mean, pretty economical as, as far as you can think um, in, in terms of just pitch count in, to outs uh, produced. So I, I think that's a, a, a extremely solid performance at, at any level for any pitcher. I, I was glad to see that from Jack Anderson last night. Um, I, I do want to just ask you here, and we might be able to kind of bring this thing in for a landing but um, there's a big uh, – we got a weekend series uh, this upcoming weekend against uh, North Carolina. And I just want to ask you, I mean, if you're looking for keys to that series for FSU, um, who are you going to be looking at and what are you going to be looking for? I mean, do you want to just keep seeing what you are seeing? Do you want to see any new guys uh, break out here? What um, – I, I, I'm sure you'll be making an appearance in that press box 
I just want to know. What Certainly, I will. Uh, I'll be there tomorrow and Saturday. Um, but look, looking forward to that series. Offensively, I'm really looking at Elijah Cabell, who's who stepped up in a big way these past couple of games after after being benched. Um, he's probably got some of the some of the best power behind his swings that I've seen in all of college baseball. Um, and, and he's had definitely his downs this season. Um, but, but as Mike Martin Jr. says, you know, he's, he's been a great teammate and he's really stepping up to the plate now. And I'm going to look at Tyler Martin, who's been as solid as a rock uh, through, throughout this season to just kind of continue uh, in, that, in that first at that spot um, to, to get us started off offensively, get us a little bit momentum. And then just if our pitchers can do their thing, I, I think we'll be all right. Though this is a, um, I mean, this is a very, very good UNC team, um, you know, and the rating percentage index, RPI, they're number 64, uh, which is not far behind us at 56. And um, this, this series is a must win. Uh, we got to clinch this if, if, we're, if we're looking to, uh, to go deep in the postseason and hopefully get a berth uh, in the NCAA tournament later this year. Certainly, you know, I think this could be, you know, I, I don't want to say make or break, but it's a good indication of just, you know, what FSU can do. Because I think, honestly, I think Wake surprised me, certainly. Uh, I don't think many people were expecting that series to go the way that it did. But I am glad that they did get kind of this tune-up game against Mercer to, you know, just kind of get things figured out, especially a, a big win like that. I imagine it's got to kind of – give you some more faith in yourself moving forward. So um, I, I, I think on that note, I, I'm about talked out here of uh, FSU sports recently. Thomas, uh, no, not at all. I'm just looking forward to enjoying some nice weekend baseball with the, with the recent cool weather that's been outside. Absolutely. And, and today was certainly cool for sure. I kind of felt like it was a, an April fool's joke in itself. You know, we go from all this uh, warm weather in March to, I walked outside in the morning today and was just was, was struck. So um, I, I think on that note, that'll wrap it up for us uh, for this episode of Talk and Chop. Tune in next week once again. And uh, thanks so much for listening.